comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Everybody and welcome back to the Walking Dead TV podcast. Season five of The Walking Dead is upon us. I'm Jordan from Jersey. Joined this week, and for anyone who hasn't been listening in a while and needs a refresher, by Jim Dietz, Yoda Jones. How you doing, Jim? I'm glad I don't have to double back. <laughs> uh, Aaron Newworth at Aaron's PS4. Hey, it's nice to have this show back. Yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, our newest member, Rich at Chubtoad01. How you doing, Rich? You're not here, and neither am I. No, no, we're all, we're all here. We're all recording. The well, Skype's so showing your picture, gone. and mine. Who took at Chub Toad? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I asked about too. Do you follow? Do you follow that Twitter feed? Because I might do it. No. <laughs> everything for me online is Chub Toad zero one. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know what have you? All right. It's an MTG or Dungeons and Dragon thing, right? No, Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering, okay. Yeah, That's the, the coolest one, one of them all. <laughs> <laughs> so in case you needed any uh, refresher, folks, yes, we are indeed all nerds. So uh, we're thrilled to be back, and what an awesome episode to be back on, Woo! by the way. Very good episode. This was episode 501, No Sanctuary, directed by Greg Nicotero, written by current showrunner Scott M. Gimple. And uh, this was a lot of fun. This is one of the best episodes they've done in a long time. I think even Russ, who, who couldn't join us tonight because he had some other things he had to take care of, he said in the email his favorite episode in a long, long time. I agree. In terms of, like, just, like, fun, entertaining Walking Dead episode, for sure. Like, you know, you have the dramas there, but it's really, like, just let's get the lead out. And as much as I like seeing the character drama be, you know, play effectively, sometimes it's just nice to have a fun you know, episode filled with lots of tension, met with lots of action to go with it. Great zombie killing action, great uh, cannibal killing action, lots of emotions, high energy, just good baby neck snapping fun. <laughs> Jeez, that's a little dark. Yeah, I just uh, I I enjoyed it a lot as well. I liked uh, some of the ways they told the story. I mean. You know, and until the exposition by Denise Crosby, they didn't really even come out and tell you, you know, straight out what was going on in Terminus. Um, a lot of great zombie action, which is kind of a Nicotero, you know, trademark for the episodes he tends to direct. Usually have really good action sequences. Um, you know, one, one of the best episodes I've seen in a long time, and I'm glad they hit one out of the park uh, recently because they needed to after the, that, you know, kind of drag we had in the, 
second half of the fourth season there. It's funny you mentioned Greg, and we'll get to this, I guess, in the episode. But you mentioned Greg Nicotero, kind of direction, his direction, and like you know the the action aspect. He tends to take kind of the slower episodes. It seems like this is somewhat of a break a break from from his style of episode to really just kind of get the let out. Like he likes to show the zombies. Like he likes to really put the display on the the walkers in general. But like is in terms of like big major action scenes, they did. I think he did the the premiere last. Last year, correct? I think the season four premiere sounds right. So. I'd have to look yeah. it up, but I, th- I think like that and this episode are probably the the biggest displays of him taking on a, an action heavy episode of the ones he's directed. That said, it's he does a great job, so you know I'm very happy to see it. And interesting enough, we'll we'll get into this when we get into the summary here shortly. But uh, one of my favorite zombie effects in the show was in this episode. Also, one of my least favorite, but we can get into that. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, in general, zombie effects for this episode were fantastic. Lots of cool new stuff that we haven't really seen before, or or in different ways, or just shown slightly uh, altered from what we've seen. So I, I like that quite a bit. He did direct the season premiere I, I, of, of last year, too. I just looked that up. Cool. Just a quick comment on what Jim had said, because uh, I had a few people at work that were saying the same thing about after the slow burn that we had the second half of last season. Um, now I didn't, I, I felt there were some pacing for the second half last year, but I enjoyed certain uh, aspects of each individual episode, but I do agree that it was a little slow, but after this season opener, how they just kind of busted everything open, it, it made it worth that buildup to me of that second half of the season. And then the wait, because this was just phenomenal. It paid off in spades. Oh, it did. in what I thought it would take half a season, one episode. Which is pretty impressive. I completely agree, and something that I do like. I mean, we talked about this last season, where yeah, it was it was a kind of a slow build to whatever they're going to in that second half because you had all the different characters kind of disparate from each other. But what I what it was doing was basically making up for the fact that the show really hadn't had a chance to build the characters. And as much as I might have had an issue with the way it did that for some of them, such as the Beth and um, Daryl episode, uh, which I know you guys liked a lot more than I did. Uh, by having a lot of that groundwork kind of laid in that last, you know, half of the season, now we really can just kind of deliver on what those characters have, what we already know about them. So we can kind of get into the more fun stuff like an episode like this. Ideally, we'll still, ideally we'll still get the more, you know, character-focused episodes, which I'm sure we'll get because that's the kind of show this is, regardless of how good it got, accomplishes those things. But, it, you know, it is nice to, because because of the shaky groundwork based on the showrunners going in and out, now we've had a half a season where we could kind of really build that foundation up and now get to this season where hopefully we can really pay off that character development and while it's also still building on it, but also still having fun, which is what the show should be. I think that's cool that they did all that through that groundwork by breaking up the characters and focusing on them individually, like you say, Aaron, you know, to give more characterization to them. But I think if we'd gone like another half season with that same structure and that same thing going on, that would have been too much. So that's totally agree. I'm glad they, they covered a lot of ground with the season opener. They started out strong with the season. Mm-hmm. A lot of things went down. Um, uh, like I said, we get the synopsis. We'll get a little more granular. But um, I'm, I'm glad that like you know, they, they kicked up the, the speed a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate the characterization as well. I mean, that's what makes Walking Dead you know worth watching is that you care about the people. But you know, now I, I, I'm just glad that we got this you know, as the kickoff to this premiere, you know, kicking into high gear like this. For sure. So should we get into the synopsis, folks? Let's do it. All righty. So like I already said, but I'll reiterate, this is episode 501, No Sanctuary, written by Scott Gimple, directed by Greg Nicotero. We start in kind of an odd way for the show, in a flashback. We get the uh, title card then. 
uh, or not ne- not necessarily a title card, but a setting card then. And we see a flashback with Gareth, uh, who we met last season, and his brother Alex. He was the guy who got shot when Rick was holding him at gunpoint. They're all locked in a train car, uh, very similar. And in fact, at first, we don't even realize it's them. We think it's um, either our group or somebody in another car by our group, but it is the termites themselves locked in a train car. And uh, Alex says he regrets putting up the signs that led to Terminus, and Gareth retorts that they were only being humans. Alex then asks him, what are we now? And then we flash forward to now. Now, real quickly, um, uh, two, two things. First of all, do you think it was a misstep to try to make Gareth sympathetic by adding this flashback at the beginning? I think it's, was it kind of like when they tried to make the governor sympathetic in a similar way? I think it's too early to tell because we don't know what else we're going to see from Gareth this season. Who I, I mean, we'll get to this, but Rick, you know, he winged him. He didn't kill Gareth, so we're going right. to we're going to see. And we, you know, he was announced as a recurring character or whatever in the in the news over the summer, so we know we're going to see more of Gareth. Um, but and there are definitely scenes with him in the trailer that weren't in this episode. Exactly, yeah. So we're going to see more of this character, and by setting him up now, yeah, I know. I don't think it's at all a misstep. I did have problems with the, the way they handled the governor, but so far with Gareth, I, I mean, I think they're doing the only way they can by just giving us, you know, teasing out some information. Also, you say sympathetic, I'd say more background. That's yeah. I that's don't a better think they're going to... for yeah. sympathetic so much as just just so you understand. Here's what happened. It's still awful. There's still monsters, but this is why. That's a good way to put it. The second question I had, the people that terrorized, the original people of Terminus, you know, I guess were like, had good intentions and wanted to actually give sanctuary to people. Do you think the people that came in and terrorized them and like dehumanized them, do you think that's Negan and his crew? I kind of thought that because of the end, the ending of the episode when they have the flashback again. Because man, that looked like Negan right out of the comic book. But then again, Scott Gimple on Talking Dead nixed that by saying, "No, that's the tattoo face guy that later in the episode." See, that's what um, I. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. I, I, I watched. I mean, I, to, to to be fair, I watched. I watched this episode three times to write the written review, and yeah, I was so certain that it's like, oh yeah, that's the tattoo guy the whole time that I kept coming back to that thought. And if it was Negan. They would make a hell of an intro for him. They wouldn't just have him like kind of randomly walk in in the shadows, some guy you've never heard of before, just well, not even announce himself. They'd, they'd really interest. There him. was a lot with bats in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 I mean, I th- I wasn't thinking it was the introduction of the character. Just I was at first, I was like, oh man, they're giving us just a taste, a tease. But yeah, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just so excited to eventually see that character because of that was he's just been a great part of the comic book. Um, I do have to say on the other point of the opening i was i was a little bit confused because my ever so wonderful dvr cut off the title card then so i start and i'm like what who are these people and what is going on and then it goes now and then i'm like oh okay it was a flashback (laughs) yeah and it was cool but just because you start and i kind of hinted to this but you start with no context except for it's pretty clear in the train car you've got screaming and you've got hush talking and it was a great unsettling way to start it to then give you this reveal of who it is, and then you're immediately back in the action, which was really neat. You know, you didn't you didn't have to spend a lot of time with it. Yes, you had two flashbacks in the episode, and I'd say it was what under under two minutes total, oh, yeah, probably under a minute thirty. There are quick flashbacks, yeah. I did like the way they broke it apart. It just said then, and then now. <laughs> yeah, keep it vague. That was cool. But right. you know, but you know, give us just enough, which was nice. I think it just shows that. I mean, Scott. I mean, Scott Engable, he's the showrunner, but I mean, just what, whoever's, you know, really working on 
the, the team involved in really building up this series at this point, it seems like they do have a clearer focus on how to make this work, and it's less of a, I want to do it one way while someone else wants to do it another way, like, you know, um, Darabont versus AMC or however you want to phrase it. It seems more like there's a, a cohesive thought of, like, we need to go this way. That's That's the impression that I'm getting so far, and I like that. So in the now, in the present, uh, we see, again, our group of Rick and everybody else who's in the train car as of last season. They're still in the train car, and they are gearing up. It was a nice little uh, prison breakout type setup. Unfortunately, I think it was a little bit ruined. If you'd seen the trailer, you knew it was coming next. But it was still really cool to see them fashioning weapons out of everything. They were MacGyvering it up, using every little last bit of stuff around them to make weapons, make uh, escape plans, make anything they could possibly do. And it was all for naught, because when they're preparing to attack them, uh, the termites just open up the roof of the car, drop in a smoke grenade or a flashbang or whatever it was, and uh, they just knock them out that way and then drag four of them out of the car. The four they drag out are Daryl, Glenn, Rick, and Bob Stuckey. You know, as a guy that makes a living off processes and process efficiency, I have to give my hats off to the Terminites because, you know, they have they have everything down pat. I'm, I'm assuming that they've had plenty of practice, but, you know, just to be able to get them geared, you know, these guys are probably going to come running out of the train car at us. Let's, you know, devise a way to stop them and immediately have that hatch open for the smoke grenade i thought that was good and and and, you know throughout the entire episode everything is just so industrialized and 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 process driven for them it's 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 very very strange well it's like a it's like a dark twisted version of what rick's group could turn into were they to find some kind of sanctuary uh i mean it's essentially the prison except they've gone to the extreme of you know eating people and doing things a horrible way as opposed to having a system of three rules and inviting you to help them work and grow crops and things like that. It's this weird twisted reality um, that counters, you know, Rick's methods, which have, you know, obviously altered given his disposition these days. But just interesting to see. Well, it's, I mean, that's something they've always toyed with. It's like, you know, in the moral gray areas, you know. I mean, how how different is this from the governor's town if, you know, if they had cannibalism, you know. I mean... And I I really appreciated something about this. At first, the, until, like I said, it was alluding to before, until we get to Denise Crosby, it gives us, like, that bit of exposition or whatever, you know, while Carol shoots her in the leg and stuff. Um, we, we get, you know, Carol breaking in, like, walking through the rooms, and we also see it when the four break out, and they would start to walk through the rooms. We The rooms are telling the story. Like, they're, they're you know, Carol's in the room with all the, the belongings left over from all the people that they've killed, and then she's in the room with all the names, you know. It's, it almost reminded me of like the way they tell a story in a video game like Bioshock or something where you know you, you get all the, the the story cues from the environment oh um, yeah it's nice to see thought, it's nice to see a show really cool. it's nice to see the show deliver on visual storytelling rather than hit you over the head which it still kind of does at some points in this episode but not nearly as hard as it has in the past show don't tell as they say exactly so like I said the four Rick Daryl Glenn Bob. Uh, they get brought uh, separately from the rest of the group into a, let's just call it a kill room, a butchering room, um, including several other captives, including uh, Sam, Hippie Sam, who we saw last season um, in the episode where Rick kicked Carol out. Uh, this is Robin Lord Taylor, who is currently on Gotham as the Penguin. And uh, so it was very nice to see him again, even if, I have to admit, I didn't recognize him. I, I knew I knew him from somewhere, but I couldn't tell exactly where. Um, and he dies first. They hit him in the back of the head with a baseball bat, then slit his throat and uh, drain him into the trough. 
and you can tell this is not the first time they've done this. They have it, the the entire system down, and not only that, when Gareth comes in, he's like asking about the round counts and stuff. It just looks like another day at the office. Yeah, it's very cavalier. You know I mean, in the way he does yes, it, yeah. exactly. It's just very offhand. It's like they've done this dozens of times before. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Well, and it's not just the repetition and doing it time and time again, but the more you can industrialize it and dehumanize it, the less bad you have to feel about it. You know, it's, it's a psychological thing as much as it is a repetition thing. Yeah, and I'd speak back to the Robin Lord Taylor uh, actor, character. Um, if being one that does watch Gotham, I was very aware that, yeah, here he is. Um, that's, <laughs> that, that I was, the camera was pointing him out and everything. And, it, you know, it took me maybe half a second to be like, oh, that's Penguin. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's the blonde guy with the girlfriend and stuff from the last episode. So the, it was neat just because I like I'm seeing him every week now as a, as a person that watches Gotham. I'm seeing him every week, and it's like, oh yeah, that's right. He was on Walking Dead for that one episode. So now you know now he's gone. But uh... I thought that this entire scene with the trough and the killing and everything was was very well done. And later, when Greg Nicotero talks about the fact that they gave it the alien treatment, our four characters did not expect to have the practical effect of the blood and whatnot gave to give them more of that shocked uh look as the blood's coming down the trough uh, i thought that was a pretty brilliant way to go and yeah it's brutal like that was we've we've seen some stuff on this show i mean we've seen you know little kids getting killed but watching people get their throats like cut and like no cuts away from the camera like that's that's some intense stuff for a you know a, a, a show watched by millions on television <laughs> So they, they work their way down the line, same thing, hit to the back of the head with the bat, slice open the neck, until they get to Glenn, and of course anyone who reads the comics, when you see Glenn in a baseball bat, you think things, and uh, I'll keep it as vague as that, and they're just about to hit Glenn with the baseball bat when, like Jim mentioned before, uh, Gareth walks in, and he starts asking about their round counts, as, as much as I could tell this was from when they were, you know, corralling our crew through the kind of maze of Terminus last season, you know, they, they keep a count of how many rounds did you expend um, so they can keep track of everything. It's very clinical, very utilitarian, uh, and very much like everything else. It's very industrialized in this in this society. Did you have any thought that um, we'd be losing any of the main characters in this episode? I expected Bob. I thought Bob was going to go as and having him at the end of the trough when they first brought him in. I thought, oh, he's 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 first. And when they started at the other end with uh, Robin Lord Taylor, uh, I was I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then I, I really expected it to be Bob. And then I kind of after the entire episode was thinking. You know, right towards the end, you know, Carol really was the focus of the badassery in this episode. Um, Maybe this will be her swan song and they're going to kill her off. And I still I'm kind of predicting that before midseason we will see that. But that was really my only thoughts. Uh, The character I really wanted to go, I wasn't going to go. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, at this point, how expendable are any of these characters? And yes, they can always make any of them expendable. You know, Bob, I, th- I thought the same thing you did. I thought he was going to get it. Mostly when he opened his mouth and actually got to talk to Gareth, I thought Gareth was going to kill him there. And this show has, let's face it, not the greatest history with its uh, you know blackmail characters and just killing them off willy-nilly and replacing them with another one. So there was a lot of things there, but at the same time, I, I can agree with you on Carol you know, it seemed like maybe they're setting her up for, you know, going out guns blazing, which is pretty cool. But who's really expendable of everybody who is in that car at the moment? Maybe Rosita and maybe um, Tara. But that's a 
about it, and they weren't really in a position to be killed like our, you know, more front and center characters like Daryl and Rick were in this episode. So, I, I it doesn't bother me that nobody died in this episode, but at the same time, you know, we'll see. We'll see as we go along. I liked it as it was, let's put it that way. When it got past the trough scene, that's what I figured, yeah, no one's going to die in this episode. There's just going to be a whole shebang of action with no real consequences for the main group. Now, I thought the 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 producers and whatnot of of the show had teased all summer long that some a main character was going to die in the season opener. I mean, am I well, wrong? That's how I you mean, get people to watch. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> you, you know, that's really that's really what I think it is. I... Continue to lie to me, and it'll be like okay. Yeah. Well, they, I don't they, know that I had seen anything about that. They didn't really lie to you, it. though. They, I mean, there was, like, random reports. It's like, will Norman Reedus die? But that's not coming from, you know, Team Gimple or anything. That's just people speculating based on random quotes and interviews and drawing it out into, into much larger hey, focus than it needs to be. Rich? Yeah? I, I'm, I'm sorry, man. You can't believe everything you read on the Internet. <laughs> what? But I the Internet the one, doesn't I hate to be lie? the one to break it to you. I know. Um... I know. I know, but All right. it's a tough thing to take, I know, but take it from me. You can't believe everything. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Well, I Except mean, for this podcast, of course. Oh, yeah, the podcast. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is yes. nothing but truth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, I mean, Your according to, according to the internet, like, Daryl's also, like, he's super gay and has, like, four kids in Oklahoma. I mean, I don't know what's going on with Daryl these days. Like, the, the internet's crazy in regards to whatever going on with Daryl, let alone anybody else in the show. I, I just, you know, I don't worry about it. So getting back to things that actually happened in the episode, yeah. um, like we said, uh, Bob tries to plead and say, hey, look, we've got this guy who knows how to fix everything. If we can get him to Washington, it's going to be fine. Gareth is nonplussed. Um, he's more interested in that bag Rick buried in the woods. And I like this reveal of how aware of everything Gareth was and just, you know, we were watching you in the woods. We saw you bury the bag or we saw you with the bag go back into the woods. We know you buried it. So just tell us what was in it. Tell us where it is. Uh, Rick threatens him. Rick says he's, you know, he lists out everything that was in the bag um, when there's a knife to Bob's eye and uh, gets right down to what was the last thing? Was it a, a red hammer or baseball bat? It was a red something. Red uh, machete, machete with a red machete with a red handle, and he tells Gareth that that's what he's going to kill Gareth with. Which I think we can at least see some uh, expect to see some revisiting of that threat later in the season. I would not be surprised. And then uh, at at that moment when they're up just about to kill Glenn for the second or third, maybe even fourth time, uh, gunfire erupts outside, followed by an explosion. And I think that's when we cut to our opening credits. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And they're brand new opening credits mm-hmm. with a lot of uh, terminus in them, which was kind of surprising, especially given the ending of this episode. But did we have the same opening credits for the last two seasons? No. They Maybe were, it was the first no. for one, same for one and two, new for three, new for four, and then new for five. Is that that's yeah? Sound right? That sounds better. It might have seemed like two seasons because they break it up into two halves. That's probably what it was. Yeah, you're, you're probably right on the on money on that. Did one. you did you think it was very terminus heavy? I thought it was very non-specific. If anything. I thought there was there was like shots of the candle room, shots of uh, the kill room. I think um, there was definitely some a, a number of shots that evoked terminus to me. All right, but I don't think that really matters. Even if they never go back to terminus the whole season, which I don't know that I'd necessarily say I'd expect. I think they might show up at some point. I think again. we'll, if anything, we'll have I flashbacks think... to terminus. Yeah, but necessarily yeah. go back. E- there. Even if they don't, it's not a problem. No, you know, yeah. it's it's showing you where they were at the beginning of the season. It doesn't matter what's in the. Well, again, I, th- I think the images much. are even fairly. Just more of like this is horror imagery as opposed to like this is this world now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So opening credits, come back to the show, 
And uh, we're back on the train tracks with Carol, Tyrese, and baby Judith. Uh, they see a herd of walkers heading towards Terminus, and so they uh, they start to follow them. We, we quickly get the information that um, Tyrese is still not comfortable with killing, be it zombies or human. He's still very shaken up by the whole incident um, with uh, looking at the pretty flowers last season. Well, there's also, I mean, first you should mention that they hear gunshots, and that's what, first they think the herd is coming after them, then a bunch of gunfire is what draws the herd toward Terminus. And that's where they, they they kind of time it with what happened in the, the season ender. If you time that, you know, where the gunfire with Rick and them trying to escape and getting caught. Which I love the yeah. fact so. that they, they, they made the season ender and season opener seamless like that. No, you know, fooling around in between, nothing, you know, giving us exposition of all kinds of stuff other than that now and then. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, it's it's right where we left off. And as far as Tyrese goes, I he's the, he's the one character that I was kind of hoping would go because and and it's upsetting because I he was one of my favorites from the comics and he just has not delivered. He's turned into a mashup of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo and Mr. T. I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> so they're making their way through the woods and they encounter a guy named Martin, who's one of the termites. And as, uh, as uh, Aaron pointed out uh, off recording, he was wearing Glenn's hat, which I did not even pick up on. So very good catch there, Aaron. You watch it three times, um, you start to see these things. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, they, they find him at this cabin and they overhear him on the walkie-talkie talking to, I believe, Mary, but it's not really important exactly who he's talking to, um, about the girl, the, the lady with the sword and the kid with the hat. Um, so they take him captive, reminding him, hey, we're friends with the lady with the sword and the kid with the hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carol goes off to check up on Terminus and see what's happening, and she leaves Judith and Tyrese there with Martin, who is uh, tied up with, I believe it was a car seatbelt, as best I could tell. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and this was a good callback to season one when Carol goes out and, you know, smears herself on a poncho with zombie guts and whatnot. Uh, It it just goes to show that she's been paying attention in the evolve, her her character evolving and um, just set the tone for she's about to just go kick some butt. And let's let's not forget she was living on her own for how many weeks after Rick kicked her out. Like True. she she's probably the most capable person out there solo aside from maybe Michonne, Michonne yeah. on our show, you know. I mean it's a good repre- awesome. it's a good representation of just like how far, you know, people have to go in terms of, you know, surviving these days as well. Um and even like Michonne did it last season too when she uh, made two new pets to kind of cloak herself in the Walker world and whatnot. Uh all that said, I did kind of sigh when we, like, leave Tyrese alone with the baby and, you know, jerky guy tied up and, you know, not gagged or not knocked out. It's like, okay, now we're going to get to this stuff where, like, he convinces Tyrese of something and he distracts him. And it's just like I saw where that was all going. I like where it, I like the eventual results of it, but at the same time, I was like, oh, come on. Carol leaving this guy, like, alive and, like, ready to talk is... Well, I agree with you that, yes, it was obvious something was going to happen, I was unclear enough on exactly what that I was fine with it. Like I, I agree, was he going to talk to him? Was he going to talk him down? Was he going to uh, was he going to do exactly what he did? Was he going to convince him to leave like he tried to? I wasn't sure, and because I wasn't sure exactly what it was going to be, I was fine. 
What no. What's funny is the guy, like, he knows what I know. He knows that, like, he should kill him. Why is he leaving? Like, he, say, he asks the questions, why am I still alive? You should have killed me. Like, it's it's the kind of thing where it's like, it's he's written to be, like, me screaming at the TV, apparently. That's, the, <laughs> that's apparently what this character is. So, Carol, like uh, Jim said, smears herself in zombie guts on a makeshift poncho. And uh, she heads towards Terminus. She she kind of walks with the zombies for a while. She's very careful. Um, she gets up to the fence, and she sees Rick and crew being pulled out of the train car. I was a little bit unhappy with the editing here, only because it was not clear that how much time was passing. And so it went from her seeing them pulled out of the train car. She walks around the corner. She fires on the thing. I was like, hey, 20 minutes of stuff happened in between here. But in rewatching it, it was clear enough what was happening the time had passed i just wish it had been a little bit more clear but regardless she uh she had taken the fireworks from martin we forgot to mention this but martin and a bunch of other people were setting up fireworks outside of terminus to draw the zombies away after all the gunfire which was again very industrious very smart very clever um exactly aaron and so she had taken the fireworks she spots a propane tank and she waits till, you know, the zombies are already up there and the termites are starting to uh, deal with them. She fires on the propane tank and then using the barrel of, the, of another gun, she uh, fires one of the fireworks directly at it, ignites the propane, big explosion, the roof of Terminus is on fire, zombies are everywhere, panic erupts, and this is, of course, the explosion and gunfire we had heard in the beginning of the episode when Glenn was just barely saved. Dogs and cats think- living together, mass <laughs> You know, I was just thinking that and didn't add it in. But uh, I I think the time is is explained. I mean, because my understanding from the way Terminus is laid out, that train car it was either to the side or the back of the compound. And the time it would have taken her to sneak around to the front to where the propane was and the entrance into Terminus. Oh, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and I have to I say just wish there had been probably... one or two more cuts from seeing them to walking around the corner and blowing up. Because being a direct cut made it a little bit less clear how much time was passing, which I thought would have been yeah. better. Again, this wasn't bad. It was just a eyebrow-raising moment for me the first time I watched the episode of, wait, what now? <laughs> she just saw them ten seconds ago. But this is regardless. probably my favorite scene out of the entire episode is this her setting that explosion and just mass chaos going off. So I, 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 the sequence was great to me. Uh, yeah, it is. It may have been like the a very a very very accurate shot with a with a firework, but the shot of like yeah, no kidding. The, the, the shot of her just like in the frame with that explosion going off was amazing. And it's, it's oh, yeah. like such a, especially because remember like the first season when we were really like the CDC exposed, like, well, that was, that was pretty weak, um, which makes, <laughs> it's like, this is such a great step up. Like if regard, like if, I don't know, resources were used better, or the budget's just bigger, which is probably the, probably the case. It just looked great. This explosion of Zom of walkers flying in the air as Carol's like just sitting there waiting to make her next move. It's just a great executed sequence. If I remember correctly, the CDC explosion suffered from looking very CGI. Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? Oh, yeah. I mean, this explosion seemed like, I mean, if it was CGI, it was really well done. It looked like it was a practical explosion to me. Could have been. But, I mean, it seamlessly built in here. Yeah. Well, in all fairness, the CDC was... The CDC was a final episode to the six-season test run of, or six-episode season one test run of this series that hadn't really been established or how well it would do yet. So it probably didn't really have the budget, but... uh, It was also a building they couldn't actually explode, where this was a propane tank that they actually could. 
you know, it was a foam fake protocame tank in the first place. So yeah, you know, but, you, know you work, you work with what you work with what you got, and they did that a lot absolutely. better here than they did there. <laughs> so that's what it is. Yeah, I will not disagree in the least. You're you're absolutely correct. So we can then get some more scenes of Carol being just awesome as she makes her way through the compound, posing as a zombie, uh, sniping people when she can, and uh, taking them out with full automatic gunfire when she can. And then she makes her way through the rooms, like I think it was Jim was talking about earlier, you know, kind of showing instead of telling the story until she gets to Terminus Mary, Denise Crosby from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, We talked about some last season. Well, I I think you glossed over a couple things here real quick, if you don't mind. When she's in the property room or whatever, the the leftover room, you know, she she is that Herschel's watch or whose wristwatch is that? Is she? Found? I'm not sure because Herschel's watch was the pocket watch. Yeah, yeah and we Glenn see that has. in this episode too. You're I right. thought it. I thought it was going to be the watch that um, the exchange between her and Rick when they separated. But I thought that that one was a leather band. At least that's in my mind what I'm remembering. I don't remember. That's the impression I got that it was the Rick uh, Rick Carroll watch, which is what gave her, you know, which clued her in on the fact that, I mean, she already knew that the term the termites were, you know, evil, but she, I think she got a pretty good understanding that they're just taking people, taking their things, and harvesting them. I thought that just kind of made right. it emphasize the the point that she should not be questioning if she what she's doing is the right thing. That's, that's what I took away. And she grabs now- Daryl's crossbow. Yes, absolutely. But not <laughs> was the shown sword nowhere to be found? Do we are we not getting the sword? Is that is how Yeah, I noticed that too. I, I was really concerned. Get, you know, this was my concern. Well, Michonne, I, they're out of terminus and Michonne does not have that sword by the end well, of this episode. Yeah. That's what I was trying to remember. Usually I'll watch the last season leading up to the season premiere, but I I didn't this time. Did she lose the blade off of that sword? Did one of the termites no. snap it or something when they captured no, her? They, because no, I could swear her little her little wooden uh double lightsaber Sith thing uh, yep. looks like the middle of it looks like the handle from the katana. It was the scabbard. It was the, it was the scabbard. Oh, the okay. The okay. Yeah. Yes. She, yeah, she had, not, yeah, she had the sheath still, but yeah, the <laughs> I kept saying, like, when they left Terminus, like, I kept speaking from a show, like, did you did you grab a sword? Where's the sword? I mean, you got the yeah, bow, uh, right? You got uh, the crossbow. Sword. Where's the uh, where's the sword? <laughs> yeah. And not, not to make this too dark in an episode about cannibals and zombies and all this stuff, but, you know, <laughs> Going through that that room, particularly the one Jim's talking about with all this stuff, you know, just goes back to the institutionalizedness of this. It was very much like a World War II concentration camp where you would have the piles of shoes and the piles of watches and the piles of, you know, luggage. It was very creepy and evoking that. And again, going to the mental state of these people uh, living and working there. Oh, yeah. This was not lost upon me at all. Um, oh, I, I would hope not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I didn't even I didn't even write. I didn't even write about this just because I don't feel like going down the camp of making. Uh, no, I don't want to get into it too much. I just wanted and, to. Right. But yeah, I certainly it, but... I certainly see where that is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there. It's 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 layered all over it in terms of the, the imagery. When they get to the candle room, what again is written on the walls? Do you remember? Isn't like, uh, it's like never, never just, again, never again, never again, just we or, uh, or something never, like we. no, no, never trust. Like there's tr- that's never a, trust. Yeah, that's one of them. There's like three things ju- written there. Yeah. Just us, wasn't it? Just us or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, there's like three things. Yeah. Written. One of them's like I know one of them had trust in it. Like no, no trust. Right. Or something. I remember never trust is right. Yeah. Well, and and thanks to the flashbacks and everything, now those words make a lot more sense. Oh, for sure. Than, yeah, what's going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this, I love this set. That candle room is just, you know, and and the names of all of their fallen and stuff on the floor around with the candles surrounding them and all that. Um, I, 
I don't, you know, I don't know if Grace Walker designed that or somebody else came up with that idea, writing it into the script or what have you. But um, I think that that's just a beautiful and creepy set all at the same time. Oh yeah, I agree. I should mention, according to Wikipedia, that was indeed Rick, indeed Rick's watch. Uh, I don't know if it's the one Carol gave him or not, but that's what it says. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. like we were getting to, uh, Carol goes into that room with the candles. And yes, it is very creepy, but also very beautiful. It's supposed to be a kind of memorial uh, more than anything else. Um, she finds Mary, who we'll learn later, and I wanted to mention this now before I forget, that Mary is Gareth's mom. She was also Alex's mom. Alex was, of course, the one who was in the flashback in the beginning and who I didn't mention but is on the slab in the kill room. Like, because he's dead, they're going to eat him too. You know, it's not just them eating their own. But this is where Mary gives Carol uh, kind of the, the short but... Um, important backstory of what happened. Uh, like we kind of mentioned, they were a sanctuary, and then the wrong people got there, just like um, Joe and the Claimers were going to do last season. They got there, they started killing, they started raping, they started all kinds of terror, and uh, eventually uh, Mary and her sons and the rest broke out, took back over, and like we said, they promised this was never going to happen again, they weren't going to trust anyone, and they became these institutional cannibals. The likely way to proceed after horrible things happen. Like, like, you, like you do. You know, like you we've do, all heard yeah. this story before. You know. yeah, exactly. yeah. Hey man, there's no denying good barbecue even after the apocalypse. Yeah, those, those, I mean? those later <laughs> seasons of Gilligan's Island really hit home. That's what I can say about that. Um, re- remind me, what was the information Carol was trying to get out of Mary? Was it just where everyone was being held? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. where my friends are. And uh, she does this by shooting Mary in the leg after they have a bit of a tussle. Um, she shoots Mary in the leg uh, she opens the door, she lets the zombie in, and that is the end of Mary. I think we don't oh, necessarily... Oh, oh you but... gloss right over her line, though, and I love that, you know, when Mary's talking about, you know, us being in the here and now and what we deal with and what we've become, and you're either the, the butcher the or... The butcher or, or the cattle. Or, but the line that... Carol delivers, you know, like I said when you introduced me at the beginning of the episode, um, uh, you're not here and neither am I, and then opens that yeah. door to the zombies. That was just a great line sequence shot well. I just loved it. I'm, I just gave a yeah to TV. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mel- Melissa McBride's audition reel for the next Expendables movie is really strong in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Rambo. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, uh, Rick and crew are making their way out of the kill room. Rick had uh, kind of hidden away a sharp piece of wood in the leg of his pants, um, and once the two uh, butchers were distracted by everything going on outside, he killed both of them, he got the other guys free, they start making their way out, they find weapons, meat cleavers mostly, and and machetes and stuff to start off, and they start making their way out of the, uh, the kill room, and start killing some zombies. And Rick finally uh, surprises one of the termites with a with an AK-47, or some type of automatic rifle. I wasn't paying that close of attention to what it was. But uh, he takes him down, and then he just mows down five or six termites yep. um, in the back with the... You forgot, you forgot the sure. Alan Moore cameo. <laughs> was that before or after this? Mm-hmm. I thought that was after this. No, no, it was before. They, that was before. Because um, Glenn tells him it's he has to do it. You know, I, I don't think Rick at first wants to try to free the other uh you know open well, the other uh, yeah, it's, train it's, car or whatever it's before they go outside completely like they're they're watching right. they what's happening guns and, yet. and they hear the screams of the of the other uh, container if we're going to remain us we have to do it they they open that container and they find inside Charles Manson mm-hmm. um and then they put him back in because he's a crazy person 
They don't put him back in. No, zombies get him. No. Oh, that's true. They, they, they do let the zombies get him. He, yeah, he's he, like he the guy's like out. he's holding on to Glenn, and then like walkers just get him. And then and what is he shouting? We're the same. Yeah. We're the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're the same. And then Glenn, and Glenn takes, like uh, takes the baseball bat to uh, him and the zombie. Yeah. Ah, uh, like. catharsis. And then uh, now I'm still trying yeah. to hold on to the theory that that's Negan because if you look closely at that scene, the zombie shoves him down. And it looks like he's biting at his neck, but then Glenn hits the zombie with the bat, so maybe he didn't bite him and he's going to come back as Negan. That's my theory. My, or my <laughs> wishful thinking. I don't know. I, I, I doubt it, but we'll, we'll see. I doubt it too, but I'm still going to wish it. I, I don't know. I kind of side with Rick on this one a little bit. I mean, I agree with Glenn that, yes, they need to save the people, but wouldn't it be smarter to, I don't know, take out all the termites and clear the place of zombies before you free the other people who you don't know who they are or if they're dangerous? I yeah, I was thinking, like, what if what if the uh, what if the train car is full of people just like uh, Rick's crew with handmade shivs and, and everything in their hand waiting to attack anybody? That's what I was more door. worried about, yeah. The idea yeah, that's of, what I was thinking. The idea of freeing them didn't bother me. It was more of, well... What's what, what's going to happen if they do open the thing? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, at least whisper in through the door, "Hey, we were captive too, and we got free." Let us. Yeah, yeah, but I, I can. I mean, it's the kind of thing I can forgive in a situation such as this one, where it's just chaos, and it's not like I expect Rick to double back later on, and be like, "Hey, let's get that container now." It's like more of, well, there's people screaming for help. I guess we could just probably open this container now, and then you know go from there. That's I, I'm willing to go along with the show on that one. Well, I think he was should a have screamed out, you know, something before he opened the door. Hey, we're rescuing you or something like that. But I agree with them doing letting them out then because tactically speaking, they don't know when they get to the open part of Terminus, their their only chance to survive may to be a escape, immediate escape, and then they can't circle back and rescue those people. So I think Glenn had it right there. If we're going to remain who we are, we have to let them loose. I like if it comes down to like this show attempted to give me some humanity of these characters and the little time that it has to do so. A line like that from Glenn is you know makes a lot more sense than you know watching, the, watching a lot of the shoe leather needed to really get the explanation across that you can kind of glean from a couple scenes. Fair enough. That that said, uh, moving past that, and just to cool action stuff. When Rick kind of like moves to the car and tries to watch the termite, the termite guys going after like the other water. Oh, in the uh, in the mirror, in the rearview mirror. That was a very cool shot. I love that. And then when like yes. a zombie, co- when a walk comes up, behind, I don't know why I'm correcting myself. When a zombie comes up behind uh, behind Rick, um, and then Daryl like stabs it in the head. That was pretty awesome too. <laughs> and Rick just yeah. gives him a look of, oh yeah, thanks. He's dude. like, yeah, buddy, <laughs> bros for life. For a split second, you think it's Daryl, you know, like leaning over to tell him something. Yeah. <laughs> and then you realize it's a walker. I'm like, oh, whoa. It's just a, it's But just uh, also, cool, cool. Daryl didn't grab a machete or whatever. He grabbed a lead pipe. Yeah. Which was, I thought was very interesting. He, like, broke a lead pipe off the wall. Uh, it was, it was, it wasn't it was off the wall, was it? Wasn't it off, like, a, one of those it, barbecue it, smokers? It was off the yeah, so, like, like, one of the fixtures, I thought, yeah. yeah. So, meanwhile, there's going to be a lot of meanwhiles mm-hmm. in this one. Uh, back at the cabin, uh, Martin is talking to Tyrese again, trying to talk his ear off. And, hey, you're you're a good guy, but you're going to die because of that. You need to just take this baby, get in the van, and leave. Just go, because if you stay, bad things are going to happen, and Tyrese doesn't want to deal with it. Um, then there's some zombies at the door, and Tyrese goes to look at them real quick, and that gives Martin enough time to run over to Judith, put his hands around her neck, and threaten to uh, break her neck if Tyrese does not put all of his weapons on the floor, and then go outside. So Tyrese does this. He doesn't want to kill the zombies because he doesn't want to kill, period. But he does, and we see the aftermath later. It's quite brutal. And then right when Martin starts to hear that there's no more noise going on outside, 
he goes to the door, it bursts open, and Tyrese, uh, we don't see this for most of it, we see him punch him a few times, but we know by the end that Martin did not survive that particular encounter when a wild Tyrese I, I don't know that I don't for know sure, because yeah. my whole thing there is later when Carol goes in, you know, like she's gonna finish him or something, and Tyrese is like, yeah, yeah, don't worry, he's he's dead, I beat him to death. I think Tyrese was covering because he didn't want to kill him. I think that he beat him unconscious um, and left him. And that's, and that's, that's yeah. simply what it is. I, I, I have a feeling that he's going to end up uh, being found by Gareth, and it's going to be the formation of their revenge party. I, I completely agree. I, I can't say, you know, for certain, but him just yelling, I won't, while beating him senseless. Yeah, it's a beating he gets, but I don't know if he killed him. I don't know, I don't know if he went that uh, far. For me, I was in your camp until the camera pulled out and showed you outside the cabin with how brutally all those zombies were basically dismembered. And for me, that was the show telling us that that, fl- that switch has flipped and he is back in the I will do what needs to be done. I camp. don't, I disagree. I don't think the switch has flipped. I think because he wouldn't kill the zombie on the t- railroad tracks when he got forced to go outside, you know, he, it, his survival instinct kicked in, you know, he just, he had no choice. He was either going to die from the zombies or, or, or he had to defend himself. I mean, it was a survival instinct, uh, Garrett, but that wasn't that, just killed those. That was brutal. What yeah, was out that, there? Well, that was over. When you have only your hands, of... I don't know what else. How else you're supposed to kill walkers, though? Like you bailed one on a spike, and he, you know, probably you know stomped on the other ones once you got them on the ground or something. I mean, it's when you have you just your mitts up... to work with. I mean, you can't you can't make it not. Time will brutal. tell, I guess. But yeah. uh, I'm sticking with yeah. my guns here. I, I I think he's still alive. That was one of my favorite shots of this episode. By the way, was them panning out from him. You know, saying I won't beating on him to. You know, pan that slow pan out, showing the destruction he left behind with all the walkers and stuff. It was a good um, shot. Yeah, it really stood out for me. So, meanwhile, back in the train car, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, the survivors include uh, uh, are talking to Doctor Porter Eugene, of course, and they're trying to get hit them him to tell them what the cure is. And he's, you know, you wouldn't know if I explained it to you, even if I laid, gave you, you know, charts and everything, you wouldn't know what to do. Um, but he eventually says that he was working with the Human Genome Project, and he believes that they can fight fire with fire and basically put out a new disease that will kill all the zombies, but leave all the humans intact. Which I don't know is the greatest plan ever, but it's a plan. And so he wants to get to DC to release that, like he has already explained. Yeah, he, he spun the BS very well right there. Yeah, uh, getting getting an understanding of where Eugene's coming from, I... Knowing the book, I know a certain way of where this character will go, but I I'm not sure how the show plans to treat him. Um, but with that said, I did I did like the way it was addressed here, and I like how how Abraham and Rosita they're there to support him. So clearly they they you know they they buy into what's going on. So it's, we'll see. Well, and it's it's a nice mirror to the termites where they have their institutional plan, you know, Abraham very much, so and, and Rosita as well, maybe not as much, but especially Abraham, he has put himself to this mission to keep him going forward. We talked about it a lot last season, but it's a nice mirror there, you know, it doesn't matter how bad I might think Porter's plan is, you know, it's a plan, and that's what Eugene needs. That's what's going to keep him going, and he's going to stand by that no matter what. I think Josh McDermott does a good job as Eugene. And I think at this scene, he does a good job of selling his plan to the rest of Rick's group 
and selling it to the audience. I, oh yeah. Since this is going to be something that's going to you know drive the plot forward going forward, you know, in the season, I think this you know this is a as much as you know the action and everything else happens. This is a very crucial scene because he actually is making. I mean, he already has Abraham on his side. You know what I mean? He is a believer. Yeah. And I think you know, this is you know, part of the you know his induction of everyone else into his. Uh, his cause. It's funny because again, this comes from watching it multiple times. But watching Josh McDermott's performance as Eugene, you see him give that speech, and then like he kind of at the very end, he kind of turns turns in a little half smile, which just shows like the confidence he has, and we don't know exactly what, but just that he's he said what he needs to said about what he what he is. He's he's you know the answer, and I like that he he says like sounds pretty badass to me. Like he just he delivers that very well, and that makes me like that character more. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a hero. People say that about me all the time, but no. So Rick and his crew meet up with everybody else in the train car. They let them free, and they make their way out of the train car into the woods. Can we can we pause uh, real quick? Um, Rick opening the train car door. The opening of that door, like seeing the chaos that's outside. I love that. I love that's like that's the that's the kind of zombie apocalypse that you kind of like want to see every now and then, where it's just utter, just fire everywhere. There's walkers and people getting eaten. There's gunfire going. Like it's just this example of just chaos, and I just love that. Like Carl's like, "What's well, like? Where's my dad?" And then the door opens. Like Carl, let's go. Like everything's crazy is going on outside the door. I, I just love seeing that. Um, Gareth leads some of his men out and attacks them. Uh, they shoot most of them. Gareth is winged, like uh, I think that's how Aaron put it earlier, yeah. but clearly not dead. We'll see him again, I'm sure. Um, they make their way out to the woods. Rick digs up the bag of weapons, and he wants to return to Terminus and kill everybody. None of them get to live, but he is overwhelmingly voted down. This Which... is when they run into Carol, too, right? Right, but let, let's let's hold that for a second and just go with, should they have killed everybody inside? Because yes. I'm voting overwhelming yes. Yes. I think that they had Tactically, they had the upper hand. They knew what was going on with the chaos, even though that they hadn't even seen Carol yet. That's about to come. They know that you know they're they're definitely grounded now, and they have a good um, layout of what is happening. And I mean, just to avoid things later, they should have learned from the governor. I mean, they didn't kill him when they had the chance. They should have offed him, but let him run off on his own to, to, with his tail between his legs, and it came back and ended up costing her life this should have been this should have happened rick was right they should have gone back in and slaughtered them well even beyond that if they don't kill all of them they will just go back to doing exactly what they've been doing and if i you know i'm not saying this necessarily for myself but if i'm part of rick's crew and their mentality letting that type of thing happen to anyone else because they didn't stop them even if it doesn't come back to bite them if it goes and just lets this thing continue on. That's horrifying. I think Even from a purely pragmatic uh, outlook, though, I mean, think of all the supplies, weapons, oh, body, yeah. body armor, uh, all the stuff that they, even if they didn't want to stay in there because, I mean, it has, you know, the stench of human flesh all over it or whatever, you know, or, or I mean, all the things they could have uh, gotten that would have helped them, you know, even if they were to go somewhere else. Michelle's, ka- or Michelle, Michonne's katana. Yeah. yeah. I think there's an understanding that I can buy into in terms of everyone else disagreeing while Rick doesn't just because it's it's emphasizing Rick's state of mind. I think it plays more into the themes of where the characters are rather than logical sense, which is not always the best way to go about making a show work. But in terms of like where Rick's character is at, it makes sense for him to say that. In terms of where the other characters are at, I get why they would kind of turn down the idea. Like last we saw Rick, he was biting off throats and 
<laughs> you know, going to town on people in the best ways possible. Everyone else is more or less grounded in some other kind of reality that's not quite as far gone as Rick may be. Like again, that's just speaking to kind of what the what the show wants to present thematically as opposed to logically, but that's kind of yeah. how I see it, I guess. Season one, Rick wouldn't have shot all those people in the back. Yeah, right. Season five, Rick does it immediately. Quick question, because I'm trying to remember: Did Michonne even have the katana when they went in, or is it yeah. possible that it was yeah, with the did. bags? Okay, because, she did because have they it. said okay. you know samurai archer uh, and the uh, whatever Rick's guys. Oh, that's leader. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm, the mystery I, I'm, the I'm sure Gareth will have the sword, and, you know, because they want to brandish that and be like, "We got you." Good sword. point. I mean, they'll, true, true, true. We'll, we'll oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, so, like Jim said earlier, Carol then appears, and it's a nice big reunion. Hugs all around. Uh, Daryl actually reunion starts crying, runs over, hugs her, and picks feels her up. So good. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Can we just not talk about Daryl and Carol? Can we do that? Is that a thing we can do? Because it was a nice reunion. I know it, it is, was it's a nice reunion. Nice to see. It's a great reunion. It's a great reunion of people that are that have bonded very closely. Does it matter if they're you know lovers or whatever? I don't think so. I just think <laughs> I, I agree. I agree, but it was still very nice. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a lot, yeah, it's great. It's a great moment. <laughs> so she leads them to Tyrese and Judith, uh, and Sasha and Tyrese have a nice reunion. Rick, Carl, and Judith have a nice reunion. Everybody's happy all around, except maybe Abraham, who just wants to take Eugene to Washington, and he doesn't really care about all their hugging. To oh, me, yeah, this right. is kind of the first time that Rick really acknowledges any sort of parental bond with Judith. I mean, everything since she's been born, Rick has just been off his rocker or emotionally torn or focused on revenge or whatever. This is the first time that I feel that he showed any parental bond at all. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that. I'm trying to think of specific examples. I, I, I just I, think it's been a while more than anything it's else. It's been a while. I think more... Um... I mean, the whole farming thing with him and, far- yeah. and Carl, that was all about growing closer to his family. I, I guess I could see him. they're not, you know, really showing it necessarily just because you more or less assume it because he has a baby so you just assume that a father loves his child but I guess I, I the, the impression I get more when it comes to Rick and Judith oh, yeah. is the, the kind of emotional turmoil he faced when thinking that Judith was dead same with Carl that Judith was you know dead he just didn't know what happened and you know so that's so I guess seeing him bonding yeah. especially you know for the first time in eight episodes or whatever that he's you know seen his baby girl yeah there's something there dude <laughs> And let's not forget, he thought she was dead up until that very moment. Right. I'm just saying that the show itself, I feel that they have treated Judith more as a prop than a a character and a a part of the group. And now it's... Babies are essentially props. Let's be fair here. She is the most well-behaved baby I know of, because if that was my son Jack, who's like just a year old or so, he would not have been quite so quiet with a giant crowd of smelly zombies coming by. You know? It's it's so well-behaved, it makes me question why Mike Jones is very adamant about not liking Judith, but that's just me. I don't know. That's... Um, we should also mention, because it got glossed over a little bit, Carol, when she was still just with Tyrese, she said she was going to free everybody, but that she wasn't going to stay once they were all together. However, Rick does ask her once they're reunited, was that you in there? She says yes, and it seems like everything smoothed over. It seems like, at least as far as I can tell with the whole Rick, Tyrese, Carol, Daryl thing, that everybody's cool with everybody. My, Would you all agree with that? In my notes, I wrote, by, I wrote bygones. So we're yeah, good. There you go. 
she just saved him from becoming Grimes Jerky. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of would, you know, let bygones be bygones at that point for sure. You know, well, you saved more, me from the supper table. The one, the one with the biggest axe to grind would be Tyrese, I would think, and he's kind of already made his peace with her at the end of the Grove. So, and and I should also say, it seems like Carol has made her peace with Rick. Yeah. I mean, she always seemed kind of fine on that front, but there doesn't seem to be any animosity from anybody on that, which is but good. I, and all of this, and that just kind of included, um, is what's making me feel that Carol's time is running out. It, I hope not, but it's possible. I, I certainly see... I hope not, too, because her character has become totally interesting, and, you know, luckily, you know, J. R., um, Martin isn't uh, writing this show, so... You can you can go back and listen to the very first episode. Yeah, I always thought she's one of the strongest actors uh, on in the series in the ensemble. Oh yeah, sure. I hope she I hope she doesn't go. I I hope not either. But at the same time, yeah. I mean, given the various resolutions of a lot of plot lines for her at this point, and you already have Michonne as kind of the de facto badass weak female character, it's like, how much do we need Carol? I mean, if they killed her, it would it would suddenly make uh, Daryl a lot more interesting because he be he would not be happy with that. That's for sure. <laughs> and they're not going to kill Daryl. We know that. So right. I mean, who knows what's going to happen you in the future? Don't arrive. Yeah. yeah. So they follow the tracks uh, towards Washington D.C. and uh, Rick grabs some dirt and changes one of the terminus signs so it now reads "No Sanctuary" and everything else is crossed out, giving us our title. Of course, of course, I have to ask. How useful is that going to be once it rains? But hey, at least may, maybe get some, the same some thing. catharsis. Uh, we then have our closing flashback back to then. And uh, the Terminus inhabitants continue to be assaulted. This is when we see that big tattooed guy, pre-long hair and tattoos, as he's uh, he brings uh, Mary back from a unpleasant session, shall we say, and grabs another woman. And uh, Gareth tells his group that they're going to take this place back over and that they're going to need to become the butcher and we get that reiteration of the either the butcher or the cattle um, uh, mantra shall we say yeah. uh, and then in a post credit scene now now real very... quick did you okay. did you guys see this did you guys see this like the first time you watched it see what the post, the, 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 there see... was a post credit scene because I don't yes. I, oh, yes. I don't like to watch the credits because I don't like to see the previews for the next week's show so the first time I watched this, I had no idea there was one until I started seeing online that there was a post credit scene. So that's when I put on the DVR again just to, and zoomed all the way to the end to find, oh, there is a thing after this. But I didn't see it my the first time around. Yeah. My wonderful DVR cut off just as he was pulling the mask. But mm-hmm. luckily at the beginning of recording of Talking Dead, it caught it. So I got to <laughs> see it and I was excited. Yeah, I'm recording right straight through from one to the next. So I always, I always catch that part. But yes, we have a post credit scene. Set at some point in the future after Rick uh, marks up the sign, but before the next rain, apparently, uh, because we see a a hooded figure. Or not really. Well, I guess he does have a hood and a mask. Oh yeah, but he's completely he, he hooded. He has face. a mask. There's a, which has no no reason except for to have a dramatic close up on his face. That's the only well, reason. Well, and covered and covered in gear and stuff as well, because it was it was kind of hard to tell is this male, female, what? Because I actually thought Beth at first, even though we know in the trailer where she is. <laughs> okay. I thought. Well, this is before we saw the mask. This is just when we see them from the back. I guess. All right. I um, would recognize Beth from the back. Trust me, that wasn't <laughs> with her. with all that stuff on there. I, I I was enough. It was enough to to 
confuse me. But regardless, the person sees the no sanctuary sign. They then turn and see that, w- that we we see that they are covered head to toe in cloth, so you can't see their face. Uh, to which I went, oh gosh, what what are we setting up now that we're going to have to see this hooded figure for the rest of the season and not know who it is? But they don't do that, which was wonderful. Uh, the person removes their mask, and we see it's Morgan Jones, uh, played by Lenny James, who is back for his now third appearance. Um, he steps off the track. He looks at the trees. Interestingly, um, I think it's a different direction than Wrecking Crew went, but we can talk about that in a second. He sees a hobo code type uh, symbol carved into a tree, a sideways X inside of a circle, and another one in the distance, and he starts following them into the woods, and that's the end of the episode. Go. Yeah, it was. He did walk <laughs> a different direction, it seemed. Like, he's like, all right. He's Which is interesting. These X's. Did did we notice you you saw it three times, Aaron? Yeah. Did you notice in the scene where Rick is like uh, covering up the sign? Can you see any of those X's in the background? I didn't notice it at all. No. I wouldn't be if I if I really look. I didn't try to look for it. I can say that. So I guess if get I, on that, listeners. Let us know on the Facebook. Yeah, group. but I didn't. I don't even know if the you know they had a shot that would be allow you to be able to see something like that. But yeah, that's a good point. That said, yeah. Okay, so Morgan's back. Yay. I, 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 it's, it's, it's completely compl- good, by the way. He doesn't seem crazy, at least in that scene. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll see. But, uh, it, it's, <laughs> funny, yeah. It's, it's, it's only in, like, a show like this or in a comic book would you have a character that's only dressed to, dressed to the nines in, like, gear to shield himself, only to dramatically take it off and not put it back on. <laughs> just be <laughs> right. So the camera can just have a giant zoom up and reveal of who this character is. That was, that's funny to me. <laughs> Can I also congratulate the show on having three black male characters in an episode and not a single one died? That's because that's awesome that's, for the show. A nice change of pace. A lot of females died Absolutely. though. I saw a lot of zombies biting women. That's for sure. Yeah. No name. Only too. one named one though. All of our other survivors survived, which was oh yeah, yeah, uh, good, good, good job, good job, red shirts. Nice. We're taking a hit for the team. Yes. <laughs> um. So let's talk about the episode in general. I, I had mentioned the two zombie effects, one I loved, one I didn't love. There's, a, I forget who takes the actual hit, but someone hits a zombie in the neck and its head lops off so far to the side without being disconnected. I thought that was one of the coolest uh, zombie kills I've seen. That's what you get with Nicotero, you know. But then also you had the one where the one termite uh, gets knocked on his back and starts crawling backwards for no apparent reason. Yeah. He could have just stood up and run. And then you have, and they talked about this in Talking Dead and how, oh, they were so happy to be able to do this with this puppet on fire. But it looked like a puppet on fire, (laughs) just like kind of like pecking like a like a chicken at the guy's face as his nose disappears in a red mist. It was the fakest looking thing I've ever seen on this show. And that includes the CDC explosion. Yeah, I tweeted at that point, zombies roasting on an open fire, dead dead dude nipping at your nose. (laughs) I think puppet on fire is going to be my 70s glam cover band. No, I think my my cover my band name is Red Handled Machete. I think that's a great band name. So, which <laughs> I'm hoping we see resurface with it in Gareth's skull. I think we have to. I, I you don't put a line like that in a show without coming back to it. It's a very, it's a very analogous to a you know Chekhov's gun. You know, it's it's there for a it's reason. Called, it's called foreshadowing, son. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, in general, I thought the zombie effects were great, but that one in particular was laughably bad. I mean, I wasn't laughing about it. It was whatever. I didn't, it's not one that stands out. It's not, it's not one that stood out enough for me to be like, man, show really dropped the ball there. Apparently, you, you and Brad apparently did, but I was like, whatever. 
I, I don't think it would have stuck out so much if it weren't for the already 20 seconds of the guy crab walking backwards for yeah, no that, good see, reason. See, I did point that out. That's something I was just like, oh, by walking, it's been disabled. Like, that's what I was yelling at the TV with my friends watching that show. <laughs> I, like, it was, it was already drawing attention to itself, and that's what made it bad, I think. Had it just been one zombie kill among the rest, whatever. But that one right there... It just stood out to me as also, a really bad one. Also, if it wouldn't have been a close-up, I think if it had been a medium shot, you know, it would have True, well, then, then, then been a little a bit puppet, better, but... yeah. Oh, well. So, gentlemen, we've talked about the episode in full. What are your buster ratings for this episode? Of course, we are rating on a scale from 1 to 5, 1 being the worst, 5 being the best. How many busters do you give this episode? Aaron, your name starts with A, so let's go with you first. I'm going to go a good four out of five busters. I really liked this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun, given the, you know, the mass chaos and tension that there was in there. But, I mean, it for you know a season opener of The Walking Dead, it certainly went big, just like last year with that whole abandoned um, supermarket area. This one is you know a lot like that, just a lot of... You got the group in a big, tight pickle, and they managed to get out of it in the most explosive way possible, and it was very cool for that, I believe. Jim, what did you think of the episode? I give it a 4.5. It has a lot of what I watched The Walking Dead for. Uh, cool zombie action. I'm glad the plot got moved along and we didn't spend a whole you know, half season dealing with Terminus and uh, and whatnot. I, I love the stuff with Carol. I thought it was a really, uh, some really well-shot scenes. Just kind of, like I said, the, um, the, the environmental storytelling really got to me. I really enjoyed that. And uh, I, I just thought it was great. 4.5 out of 5. Richard, what did you think? I've always wanted to have an episode where I give it a five, and I kind of was at that point when uh, start get towards the end of the episode, but then I got to think about it. I have to detract a little bit for two reasons. One, the zombie face-eating scene we just discussed was a little not so great, and then... Uh, the continuation of keeping Tyrese a complete opposite of what he is in the comics and just a total terrible character. Um, I got to take it down to a 4.75. So I, however, will give it a full five. Yeah. The, the zombie face eating part was pretty awful, but aside from that, and that was such a little thing. This episode was really, really solid. I mean, I'll agree with everything else. Everybody's saying positive that it got a half season long story. We expected out in an episode was wonderful. The action was really good. I was, you know, on the edge of my seat the whole time. It kept moving at a very good pace. And even the little things that they did, like, you know, Mary giving her little exposition or um, Martin in the cabin. You know, those are things that in another episode might have bothered me, but I think they kept them just succinct enough to let me kind of look right past them. They, you know, in, in past seasons, past episodes, we would have seen those, you know, we would have seen three or four scenes with Martin instead of just those two little quick, quick things. We would have had a three-minute monologue from Mary instead of that, you know, short 30-second thing. They're learning from their mistakes, and I think that deserves to be rewarded. And it, certainly for me as a viewer, I much appreciated those those succinct, the succinctness of those scenes. So I, I'm going to give it the full five. Um, I, I really did enjoy this one. Good, yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. I, you know, the, the Busters mean very little to me in terms of, like, what yes. they represent. It's so. all arbitrary. Exactly, I won't yeah. remember the numbers that, that, I gave that's it. Why I wrote 12, so that's why I wrote 1,800 words about The Walking Dead as opposed to just narrowing it down to four, you know, things. But, um, exactly. But, yeah, I, I unfortunately, guys, I got to take off. I got to jet this one early. Um, but it was, of course, always happy to talk with you guys about The Walking Dead, and I'll be back, you know, next week. We love having you, Aaron. And for listeners, they can follow you at Aaron's PS4 on Twitter. And of course, they should always check out Out Now with Aaron and Abe, your weekly new movie release show. 
And don't forget about the Ichapod Crane cast, the Sleepy Hollow podcast that you and Brandon are doing with Sleepy Hollow this season. Yeah. I've been listening to that, and uh, that show is another great horror show on TV, and uh, you guys do a great job covering it. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm certainly keeping busy in the podcasting world. And yeah, you can feel free to read my uh, written reviews of The Walking Dead over at theyoungfolks.com. I make sure to post those on the Facebook page all the time, too. Um, So yeah, guys, I'll uh, I'll talk to you all uh, later. Have a good one. Talk to you next week. Good talking to you. Yeah, to you, Rich. So before we get to what our listeners thought of the episode, let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor. Uh, Jim, Rich, you both read comic books. Occasionally. You just outed me on national podcasting. (laughs) What's the worst thing about... I read read comics, okay? (laughs) What's the worst thing about comic books, aside from the fact that nobody stays dead? The fact that you have to wait a month for the next issue. Well, why I'd agree with you that that sucks, uh, Rich. I'm going to go with Jim here. It's the price. You're spending three ninety nine on a book for, sure. for twenty pages, or four ninety nine on a book for thirty two pages. Comics are expensive. It's an expensive hobby, and even though it's rewarding and I love it, I'm looking for a way to save some money. And guess what? We found one. It's DCBService.com. That's right. Discount Comic Book Service uh, at DCBService.com. Go there. You can get not only the comics you're looking for at a great discount. They have sales all the time on new stuff, on old stuff, on very special sales, but you're always going to save at least some money, and it's always a nice chunk of change you're going to be saving there. You can also save money on t-shirts and statues and toys and bottle openers, any comic book-related merchandise you can think of, and even some non-comic book-related merchandise, just cool nerd stuff, you're going to find it there at dcbservice.com. It's a great resource. It's a great website, great customer service. They've been supporting us for a while now. If you're listening to the show for the first time or if you're listening to the show for the hundredth time, you you should absolutely check them out because they are great people, great website, and great savings. And, uh, you know, you got your holiday seasons coming up, your Christmas, your Kwanzaa's, your Ch- your Chaka Khan's, your uh, Festivus. Absolutely. Uh, Hanukkah, of course. Uh, you know, all those kind of shopping you for the, you know, Walking Dead fan in your life. Why not get him a Michonne hoodie or a Rick action figure? Or uh, I know we were talking about one of the uh, non the uh, the shows that were off season or whatever, but the the Daryl with his bike on the you know, the McFarlane toy playset is that incredible. was really cool looking. That would look awesome under somebody's Festivus pole, Christmas tree, or Hanukkah bush. Um, you know, and DCBService.com has that stuff discounted a lot cheaper even than you'll find it on Amazon. So. Check out their prices. Check out their site, dcbservice.com. It's stuff you want, but that you don't want to have to pay full price for, and you shouldn't have to. And at dcbservice.com, you don't. So check it out, and we thank them for supporting this program. So I know we said we were going to get to our Facebook listeners and what they thought of the episode, but let's take a step back. They're the most important. So let's just go to America in general. Uh, Rich, what did America in general think of this episode? What were the Nielsen ratings? Well, the ratings for the Season 5 debut were the highest ever for any Walking Dead episode. It Which pu- seems to happen every year. Yeah, <laughs> It pulled in a 17.3 million total viewers for the first showing. I don't, Good lord. I don't have a number for the second showing yet. Um, 11 million of that 17 was in the 18 to 49 demographic, which is what's uh, most important. It had a 6% rise over last season's debut for the, for that demographic. Um, and last season we were at 16.1 for the, uh, viewership for the, so we've gone up another million. Um, this show continues to defy, 
uh, television ratings by continuing as it gets older in in the series and further in it ratings are going up 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 instead of falling off like they do with most television shows most importantly uh you know, there's always been the discussion about Sunday night football and having so much Sunday night programming. Well, that is double the ratings that Sunday night football got last night. Uh, wow. Which, I mean, I kind of see why, because it was the Philadelphia Eagles over the New York Giants, but still, you know. Hey, that's big in my part of the neck of the woods. Yeah. Not that I care about it, yeah. but it is a, that's a big day. But uh, so definitely a, uh, a big winner, big winner. And what was the, uh, you said how many millions it was, but it was a what in the ratings, like a 2.3 or a 5.6? What was the number there? Do you have that number? I don't have that number. I'm looking at Deadline.com for the numbers, and that's all it gives me there. I don't have any other numbers for it. Hold on. I'm curious. I'm going to look it up myself. Uh, Let's see here. Okay, so I found it. Um, They had an 8.2 in the ratings uh, and an 8.7 in uh, the 18 to 49 demographic. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, first off, we should also say Talking Dead had 6.9 million uh, viewers and 4.5 million in the 18 to 49 demographic, which is incredible. For, I mean, for how uh, little that show has to cost, that is really imp- impressive. Um, an 8.7 or an 8.2, which is the, the overall ratings, means that for every 100 people watching television last night in the United States... It is estimated 8.2 of them were watching The Walking Dead. You don't see numbers like that on television anymore, and you haven't for a long time. That is insane. Uh, AMC should be just patting each other on the back right now, because that doesn't happen anymore. It's interesting about The Talking Dead, because an after show, having that kind of ratings, and it's interesting that AMC Today announced that they're canceling all of their reality-based programming except for the Talking Dead and Comic Book Men uh, because those are definitely pulling in the numbers for them. So they're going to focus more on their scripted show stuff. But Talking Dead, I mean, you know, they went they went from a half hour to the hour, and I, I even want more of that, especially when they have Gimple and, and Nicotero on because you learn so much more about the inside of making the episode. That, that, they had a 3.4 in the ratings for Talking Dead last night. I'm pretty sure that's higher than any scripted programming on NBC last year. Like, that's that's just insane. That And, and you know, it was a really good episode, too. I was a little bit trepidatious about Conan on there because he has a tendency to monopolize conversation. But even he did great. I thought he was wonderful. Uh, that, was, that was a fun episode. So... Enough of what America thinks, because who cares about America? Jim, what did our listeners think about in this episode? Uh, anybody who's listening to the show for the first time, go to Facebook.com, look up the group for the Walking Dead TV podcast. That's where all this is being pulled from. We love our listeners. We love interacting with them. And uh, we love to know what they thought about the episode. Well, we got a lot of comments on this episode, of course, being the premiere and everything. Uh, Roger Austin, five masked Morgans. Great start to the season. And I love that most of the crew is back together. Brutal scenes, tons of walkers, tons of drama. Uh, Terry Bernard, yeah, I was pretty pleased. I'll give it 4.5 Morgan Stingers. Uh, Belinda Clark Ake, I give it a 4, except for Daryl and Carol were reunited and Rick, Carl, and Judith, so 4.5. Uh, Brent Jones, 5 out of 5, fantastic start, and Morgan! <laughs> I'm assuming that's kind of like the way Shatner yells Khan in, in Wrath of Khan, so. Which uh, one of our heroes did Morgan kill then? I don't remember that I don't part. Know. No, he didn't kill him. He just left him locked inside of an asteroid in space. <laughs> um, Craig DeMonde says, gives five dead termites out of five. This was The Walking Dead at its finest. 
Uh, Bear McCreary's score was simply perfect. Morgan's back. I guess he's finished clearing. Uh, Pamela Burton, 5 out of 5, best episode yet in the series. Uh, 5 out of 5, double-edged Michonne Katanas from Monica Smith and Osito. Uh, totally awesome episode. Put me on an emotional roller coaster. Uh, Everard sent to Marina. I'm going to guess I missed Morgan or he was in the previews for next week. Well, he was after the credits, so you're close, Everard. Um, the episode, however, I have to give five propane fuel fireworks displays out of five. Incredibly brutal. This has to be the sickest thing I've seen on television. Uh, now I realize the first guy was the hipster guy we saw with the girl with the tattoo on her calf that bought it by the house that last season. Uh, it may get a lot of flack from the powers that being cable programming for being too over the top. Uh, Mike Jones, five or four filet of foes out of five. Um, <laughs> some poor CGI moments and Judith. Yeah, Mike does not like Judith. Uh, Craig DeMonda just literally put a picture of Morgan up and said, enough said. Uh, Jason Watson, five out of five propane walker bombs. Um, uh, there's a discussion as to whether or not Terminus is well explained enough or not in, or not in the episode. Um, I think it was, I mean, personally, um, but the debate goes on in our Facebook group if you'd like to join it. You know, they talked about it some on Talking Dead. They gave like a fuller explanation of the mechanics and how it worked. And while as a nerd, I thought that stuff was really interesting and fascinating, I didn't need it in the episode. I thought the episode gave us plenty. You know, that stuff is interesting, but it's not important to the story, really. Again, I appreciated the way they let the rooms and the environment kind of tell a lot of the story rather than having to come out and tell us you know, spell everything out word for word. You know what I mean? I really appreciated that about it rather than having it all spoon-fed to me. So, Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, I'll say again, giant kudos to Grace Walker for the set design and just does a good job. Uh, Brian Fuqua, definitely five. Hold on, this is a really long run-on sentence. You ready? Five, use as many candles as you can because it's not like you'll ever run out of electricity. I just realized this run-on phrase doesn't really apply here as the decent ratings now, but oh well, out of five. Uh, Max Sofer, four out of five busters. So Morgan is cool and reunions are great and all, but can we just focus on how badass it is that Carol took down Terminus with a bottle rocket? <laughs> now I understand why they're illegal in Texas. Uh, David Bue the third is a 5.5 out of 5 almost twisted baby necks. Oh, that's over the top. So 5.5 out of 5 batter boys turned walkers. Uh, superb return to television. Uh, Samantha Joppy 4.5 out of 5 skin torsos. Great episode, but it took an entire half season to get here. And we resolve it in one episode? Question mark. Um, a lot of people Say it like it's a bad thing. I know. I, <laughs> I, I kind of appreciate the brevity. There's also a lot of discussion here. Uh, about you know whether we're going to see we've seen the last of Gareth and I personally as we said in the show I don't think so. Um, we got uh, four out of five from Hezron Mac. Carol gets her Sigourney Weaver on. Really dark stuff. Got way gritty. Absolutely did. Uh, Philip Hergaz five T dogs. Oh T dog. Let's pour one out for him. Uh, loved Carol's record shop like Denzel. <laughs> um, Mick Muse gave it, honestly, I would have given it a five based on the last five-second Morgan reveal alone. Love, Morgan. Um, has, she has a lot more to say, but basically five out of five from her. Um, four out of five still missing Beths from Robert Nagro. Uh, gotta watch it again. Loved it, but my rating reflects my thought of the episode pulled back for some obvious things that should have been carried through. Uh, 4.5 Old School Busters from Mary Turkpecchia. This is one of the best openers for the season since the pilot. Had me right from the beginning. Um, 
and Richard Chopperberry Charrington uh, gives it 10 out of 10 busters. Uh, I think I may have just witnessed the best episode ever of The Walking Dead. It had it all. Walkers, explosions, the group almost reuniting. Come home, Beth. Flashbacks and Morgan had me on the edge of my seat all the way through. Carry on like this season five and I'll be happy as a cannibal dining on a 200-pound corpse. (laughs) I appreciate the sentiment there, sir. Uh, If you would like to be a part of our Facebook group, and if you listen to this show and if you watch that show, uh, The Walking Dead, you really do want to because we post a lot of the news and stuff going on there. We post the new shows there, and we have a lively discussion usually going on as the episodes go on. Uh, we are over 600 members strong in our Facebook group, and you definitely uh, are welcome to join. It's a very friendly group, and unlike some other places on the internet, uh, it's the Walking Dead TV podcast group on the Facebooks. Very nice. So two two other things from the episode uh, we might want to touch on real quick. Uh, one was brought up there by our listeners. No Beth this episode. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to see her next week, not judging by the previews and the synopsis I'll read at the end of the episode. How long do you think it's going to be till we see her? Are we thinking episode three or are we thinking not towards not till towards the end of this first half? I'm thinking towards the midseason is, is, is where they should go with that. But I'd be happy to see her sooner just to see the uh, the supposed um, in, implied uh, Daryl Carroll. Beth love triangle that's gonna happen. <laughs> Fight to the death. Oh, you shipper. <laughs> yeah, Richard, full of ship. He is. <laughs> uh, the other thing I really liked, and I think we talked about it just briefly, but I loved the improvised weapons they made. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, double-bladed lightsaber type thing for Michonne, the zipper weapons, the Wolverine-style claw on uh, on Abraham, and the bent earrings on Rosita. Like, that stuff was really cool and inventive. And and Rick using that uh, chain to saw the piece of It was work. a zipper. That was a zipper off of his coat. Yeah. Oh, was it? I was wondering. Yeah. Because if... Mm-hmm. I, I guess I missed him take it off his coat or something because I was thinking, did somebody have dog tags or something? What was that? Okay. No, it was really, and I actually thought that he was trying to sharpen the zipper to make like a garrote, but it was so he could saw out that piece of wood for the shank in his in his uh, boot or in his uh, in his pant leg. But yeah, and just that whole like go for the eyes, you know that. Oh, it was awesome to see them all in full on badass mode. I loved it. So, uh, do we have anything else to say about this week's episode before we close it out, and then after the closeout, talk about next week's episode? The only thing I have to add is I hope that this is a setting for the season to come. Not that we're... I'm not wanting it to be here, we're going to blow all this action and money in this first episode, and then have some bottled episodes in between. I want this to be the pace for this entire season just you know crazy run out action all kinds of crap going on danger left and right character exposition just yeah this needs to be what we have for the season i i don't know that i need the pace to match necessarily although something closer to this would be nice but i i do hope it's indicative of the quality level for the rest of the season yes uh i think this is really uh, as far as the ratings uh jump i think it's really benefited from uh being on netflix uh consistently since the show started i know a lot of people have caught up and binge watched that way and the fourth season came up like i think just a week or two before the premiere of the fifth so i know it's really benefited from that 
Um, I, the fifth, this, this opener really kind of kicked the inertia that kind of had you know, the moss on the tires, as it were, that kind of grown. And uh, Aaron made a good point about, you know, it being deep with characterization. I'm glad the action was kind of kicked up a notch here. Um, some really brutal stuff that I'm really surprised to even made it on television. I mean, and this is like one of the most brutal shows on television. So saying that is really saying something, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, overall, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, one other thing for the listeners, we know a little bit more news about what the spinoff show is going to be. We're not going to talk about it right now just because this episode is already going kind of long and uh, we might want to save that for the mid-season to talk about when we know more because what we know now is not not enough to fill even a, a full conversation. Character but, names uh, is about it. That's about it. But if you're looking for that information, it's all on the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. You can find it all there, and we will talk about it more. Hopefully we'll know more soon, enough to have an actual entire conversation about it, not just, do you think Dave's a good name for a character? Because that's about what we have. So <laughs> Dave's not here, man. Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave, Dave has a certain... I can't do that. The name Dave has a certain heroic quality. Maybe he's there. <laughs> Like um, King David, I will uh, like maybe he'll kill a Goliath. Real quick before we sign off, though, if you're into the uh, if you're into the television, if you're into the genre TV, uh, we have a lot of really cool television podcasts on the HHW LOD network right now. We have, like I said before, the Ichapod Crane Cast from Aaron and Brandon, uh, following Sleepy Hollow. We have the It's All Connected podcast, which is called uh, Following Agents of Shield. Uh, episode by episode as part of the Marvel movie universe. And all the Marvel movies and the upcoming Daredevil show on Netflix, which has had some new stuff released, and the other upcoming Marvel Netflix shows. It's going to be crazy. Right. And we also have the DC TV podcast now, which is covering not only the new show Gotham, but the premiere of The Flash, uh, new Flash series on CW. The Arrow uh, just started uh, their third season. And uh, Constantine, which is going to be premiering later on in the month, along with a lot of other DC shows that seems like they're in the pipeline, including Titans, Supergirl, iZombie, a lot of other cool things. So if you're into the television, if you're into the geeky television, you can uh, listen to all those podcasts and more. On and even if you're not into the DC TV, if you're a fan of the melodious voice of Jim Dietz, that's his show right there. That's his baby. So we all I, love that voice. I'm well, on the show with him, and I have to be woken up every once in a while because I'm just mesmerized by his golden throat. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone's welcome. They watch the shows, but yeah, if you're into if you're into cool TV, if you're into like you know superhero TV, genre TV, uh, check out those podcasts. Um, they're all we've part had of our some, family. Yeah, we've had some fun discussions so far on that show too. So absolutely. Yeah. And all of those shows, including many, many more, can be found at hhwlod.com or just go to walkingdeadtv.com. It'll take you to the same place, and you can find all the links right there. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830, 972-798-3830, or just send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at WDTVpodcast and at hhwlod underscore network. Like I already said, Aaron is at Aaron's PS4. Jim is at Yoda Jones. Rich is at Chubtoad01. And I am at Jordan FRM Jersey. And for the first time this season, folks, so until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, we don't have to double back. Have a good week, everybody. And, spoiler warning, we're going to talk a little bit about next week's episode, so if you don't want to hear it, cut out now. But... Next week's episode of The Walking Dead, episode 502, is entitled Strangers, and the synopsis we have from uh, TVGuide.com is, with supplies running low, Rick leads a mission where the risk might not be worth 
the reward. <laughs> and uh, we know that Father Gabriel, a comic book character, will be showing up in this episode. We saw him a little bit in the preview. He's a preacher, and uh, there's going to be zombies. That's about what we know. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. I'll be there. For sure. Quick tip from a chef. If you're barbecuing zombies, don't use propane. Use, <laughs> use I don't know. It seems pretty effective. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, you get that flash sear on there, but it also has that chemical aftertaste. So. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now because I, I'm very self-involved and like to see that my walking interviews are on Rotten Tomatoes and everyone like you know they have like the little blurbs from all the review critics. Mm-hmm. Mine, uh-huh. mine, it's a the one the, the line they chose for my review is it's nice to have this show back. That's what they chose. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's pretty non-committal. <laughs> you get like. These these other ones are like really long, but it's like one says like for a show that at times struggles to make the fates of any of these people compelling, it's a powerful, effective sequence that leaves our groups mostly reunited, well armed. It's like all these words. Mine's just it's nice to have the show back, guys. So you need to work more on sound bites, <laughs> apparently, because I don't write that way. Me and um, Jim, you know Scott Mendelson, like we 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 tried not to write like sound yeah. bite type lines. <laughs> That's probably why you end up with quotes like that, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. you you actually write a, a complete sentence with you know one or two ideas in it. That, you know, it's more than yeah. just what they can fit. This is funny. I just checked. It's like because. Yeah. It's just like that's the first thing. Yeah. Well, at least they like quote one word. I love it when I see that. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I see a lot of like '80s and '90s VHS boxes. Like they're just like like the other quote is like wild, big, <laughs> big. bold. <laughs> so before we get to what our listeners thought of the episode, let's talk about our sponsor, Jim Russ. Russ. Jim. <laughs> hey. Russ, who isn't here this week. <laughs> hey, since uh, you're going to have to edit there, can I run to the restroom really quick? Can we take like a Oh, go right ahead. Sure. All right. I'll right be right ahead. back. Johnny, Ken, Brad, <laughs> Frank, Adam. No. The other one. No. The uh, other one. <laughs> I, I set my alarm today. I went to went to go get up, and then I looked at my phone, saw I had a voicemail from work, and they were asking me if I wanted to pick up a shift today, which made me realize that I was off in the first place. So oh, I didn't nice. call them back, and I slept until 6 p.m. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. That's probably what I would do if I had a day off. So I picked, I got Titanfall and, and Wolfenstein, and I play, I've been playing a lot of Titanfall. Wolfenstein is really hard, but every time I log on, to even to just watch movies or whatever, it's like... Jordan from Jersey playing GTA Online. I'm like, holy crap! <laughs> it's four in the freaking morning. 